0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now your host, president of nothing, (laughs) Chicago
1: Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. How uh, do you know I was uh, president of the White Sox oh, fan club? Okay. I forget, I forget about right. that. I forget not, that. Actually, I wasn't even president. I was nothing. I was just a member of the White Sox. But nobody is. Who's going to know? You know what I'm saying? Who's going to remember the White Sox fan club? Waiting
2: for that big White Sox uh, fan club <laughs> reunion. We'll do a podcast of it. Make it a Benny J bonus.
1: <laughs> from Evanston High School. Long, long time ago. Uh, Troy Laravier is in the studio. We have so much to talk about with Troy. Before we do, D, you got an update?
2: Uh, absolutely, I do. We just have more audio to play from uh, Mayor Lightfoot's Press conference this morning uh, in regards to the CTU strike. We heard one of them. Uh, let's play the other two here. And uh, the reporters are asking her a question. I tried to crank up the volume there because sometimes you can't hear the reporters that much. So I tried mm-hmm. to crank it up. Let's go.
0: No, that's not what I said yesterday. What I said is we have. Dr. Jackson and I have to be responsible fiduciaries of taxpayer dollars. There's a finite amount of money that's available. You know, As you know, we're barely two years away from a moment where CPS was on, on the verge of insolvency. There's not an unlimited pool of money, and I wanted to make sure that we made that point um, very clear, and I know Dr. Jackson um, can speak to that point. Yeah, I mean, just to underscore uh, Mayor Lightfoot's point, uh, we just wanted to make sure that they there is a full appreciation of CPS's financial situation as well as the city's. And so while we're at the table bargaining in good faith and trying to reach a compromise, we also need to make sure that uh, CTU as well as the public is fully aware of CPS's financial situation. And so this idea that we're flush with cash and just sitting on it and not spending it on the things that we both agree matter just isn't true. And we want to make sure that that's something that folks understand.
2: There you go, a little collabo press conference there. Janice Jackson stepping in as well. Yeah, all right. Uh, and
1: uh, the timing is perfect because Troy LaRavie is in the studio, uh, president of the Chicago Principals Association. I know you must have a lot of fun. First of all, welcome back, Cotter. It's been a long time
3: since you've been on this show. Absolutely. It's good to be here, man. Uh, and you brought the music with you, too, man. Uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 lo- I love your tracks, man, your selection. Oh, amazing.
2: right on. Thanks. There was a time where we were uh, we were playing the real good tracks, but then, like, copyright laws yeah, and copyright. all that came
1: so you know, uh, but we got we got some. Well, good Troy uh, was the only person I, that I recall who recognized Fela Oh
2: back in yeah, the old Fela days. Clussy. Yeah,
1: we put him on, and Troy's like, "Whoa, where'd you get that?" <laughs> and uh, must be a generational thing. Uh, his generation was into Fela. but anyway, um, yeah, welcome back, Troy. Uh, you're the president of uh, the Chicago Principal Association. It's a long history of Troy Lavier I, I don't know if I wanna redo the whole history of how he got to this point in his life. He was oh, a not. principal, uh, and it, it may be a good way to set up for what's going down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when I first met Troy, it was after he wrote an article or an essay in the Sun-Times, my beloved bright one. Uh, which really was the first time I told him I'd never seen a principal say the things he said publicly. And this was around 2013 or 14. I'm not quite sure when it was around that time, four, 2014. So it was after the last big teacher strike of 2012. It was after the 50 schools were closed in 2013. It was after the privatization of services like janitorial services left the schools dirtier than they ever been. And all along, uh, Mayor Rahm had been uh, manipulating the media into believing that principles were falling in line with absolutely everything. Like they stood with the mayor on the strike, as though the strike in 2012 was about giving principals more power, or like they uh, stood with the mayor in the closing of the 50 of the schools because that way you could allocate resources more efficiently and have more money per the schools. We saw that wasn't true. Or they believed in privatizing services because, in fact, you would mm-hmm. save money and have more money for the classroom. They saw that wasn't. So, Troy LaRavie blew the whistle, folks. He wrote this essay for the Sun-Times that said they're just being used by the administration and the administration wasn't really uh listening to them and acting on what principals uh wanted them to do. Man, one thing led to another. Troy Larabee was fired from his position as principal of the Northside School, Blaine where he was the principal. Then he got elected head of the Principals Association. So that's sort of the backdrop of Troy Laravier as a public persona. People may have forgotten this because it's been a couple of years uh, since all this went down. Now, here we are, Troy. Uh, we're in the midst of a third teacher strike in the last seven years. There was a one-day strike in 2016. Um, and you just heard uh, Lori Lightfoot and Janice Jackson explain that there's they're being responsible fiduciaries, to use their words, of the public purse. And there's only so much money that can be spent.
3: What's your response to all that? So... In the midst of that, whatever, um, I don't know what to, how to describe that statement Janice said, but in the midst of that statement, um, she talked about the district's financial picture. So let me give your listeners a clearer, more detailed picture of the district's financial picture. We're going to start with staffing. Chicago Public Schools is the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. We are ranked 861st out of 861 school districts in the ratio of students to staff. So this is not student-teacher ratio, it's student-staff, so this is everyone in the building. We put the fewest amount of human resources towards a child's education in any district in the state of Illinois. To give you a clear picture of what that looks like and then connect us to the financial financial situation. The top schools in Illinois, the best staff schools, for every five hundred students they have, they have one hundred staff members. The average staffed school in Illinois, for every five hundred staff members, excuse me, five hundred students, fifty staff members. That's average: five hundred students, fifty staff members. In Chicago, those same five hundred students. Get 29 staff. We have 21 fewer staff than the average Illinois school, right? And that's, the, that's teachers, that's counselors, that's social workers, that's nurses, it's teacher assistants, it's special education classroom assistants, it's psychologists. Like There are 21 more of those in the average Illinois school than there are in Chicago. So... Let's stop there. Even though we're dead last in staffing, guess what? We're not dead last in spending. We're actually in the top 20%. Now, Ben, I know you. Wheels have to be turning right now. How in the world can you be in the top 20% in spending and dead last and staffing. What are you spending your money on if you're not spending it toward the human resources that are required? I mean, as a principal, 90% of my budget was staffing. So how in the world can the district be spending so little on staffing and yet be one of the top, in the top 20% in spending in the state? Well, that's where we come up with our corruption tax. That's where that money is going. If we look at where that money is going, we can look at things like the. it's at least a billion dollars now. That they've invested in the Aramark and Sodexo custodial management companies that continue to leave schools filthy across Chicago. The interest rates to politically connected banks that all just happen to have made a political donation to one or another mayor's campaign fund. That's where our money's going. Um, To these privatized education providers. These uh, sit a kid in front of a computer for several hours a day and give him a high school diploma. And oh... By the way, you get to claim your high school graduation rate went up when you've severely reduced uh, and compromised graduation criteria. Like, But companies are getting rich. Banks are getting rich. Privatized custodial companies are getting rich off of the money that's supposed to be invested in our young people's education. So what I would say to the mayor and what I would say to the CEO is that if you really want to be good financial stewards – you will sue those banks that gave you those bad loans so that you can recover some money from taxpayers. I haven't heard them talk about that. You will get Aramark and Sedexo and hold them accountable and get them out of this district and recoup some of the money that you've invested in those contracts. But this district, no matter who the mayor is, has the same perspective when it comes to spending. When it comes to paying people, they want to pay everybody everything they owe them except the people who are actually doing the work. They want to pay the banks. They want to pay Aramark. They want to pay the the politically connected companies, but they don't want to pay and invest in the staffing that's required to actually give a kid a decent education. So that's what I say about the financial situation. And oh, by the way, since we're talking about a strike, since that conversation about the financial situation came up, in in terms of the demands that teachers have in relationship to the strike, what are their demands? Well, the the, the biggest demand holding things up right now is guess what, a staffing demand. And didn't we just say we're the most understaffed school district in the state? We would have to hire 21 more people per school just to get back to average, Ben. Average. And how many staff are the CTU asking for? Are they asking for all 21? They're asking for three. And you don't even want to do that for Chicago's children? Please.
1: Well, I would just say that uh, if, even if you got rid of, just to one point, if you got rid of the, uh, the private contractors who do the, uh, the janitorial work, you'd still have to have somebody do the janitorial work. So probably, what, the old way of doing it, in your opinion, is the best way to do it? Hire a, a janitor who works for the Board of Education, put that person in the school so that he or she is working directly with the principal?
3: Absolutely. At least the job would get done. And I I would imagine that it would get done cheaper Um, because they never produced any kind of physical or financial or bookkeeping evidence to show that this was going to save the district money or even break even. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Yes.
1: One thing that's changed between this strike and the one in 2012 is uh, the the way principles were used. Uh, in 2012 principles were very much a part of uh, Mayor Rahm's strategy to win over public opinion. They there was a press conference I remember where we gathered a bunch of principals, he stood with the principals in front of them and uh, said we're I'm 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 standing up for principles and principal empowerment. As so the strike were all about giving principals more uh, more power. Uh They don't seem to be playing that card. The mayor, the mayor Lightfoot and Janice Jackson don't seem to be playing that card this time around. Am I correct in that?
3: Um, Well, let me tell you what they are doing and you tell me if you're correct. (laughs) So one of the things that the CEO did uh, was to claim that principals were at the bargaining table supporting uh, one of those proposals. I don't know if uh, you saw this. We, um, um, I got a call from a member uh, pointing me to a Sun-Times article stating that Dr. Jackson had claimed that principals were at the bargaining table supporting the proposal to take teacher-directed preparation time away from them and replace it with principal-directed preparation time. So instead of you grading papers or doing grading papers or calling parents or doing what whatever it is that you do in your prep time, principals now get to tell you what to do. Now we already do that one day per week. We get one principal directed day. And I hadn't heard any complaints from principals saying they needed more. Uh, and I've talked to at least 100 individual principals in person, visiting their schools in the last six months. And we've surveyed at least 500 principals on one topic or another over the past year. And I never heard that demand ever. And so I was shocked. Um, and so members were like, who's making this? Who's at the table? Who are these people making these demands in our name? Uh, and so we surveyed our membership. And it turns out 70% of our members were against this proposal. And yet the district was once again, not quite the way Rom was doing it, but once again, using principles to give a false impression of broad principle support for policies that principles by and large do not support. Um, and so... You know, that's what they're doing, whether or not that's in line with uh, what you understood the mayor mm-hmm. to be doing. You know, it's a little different. Uh, but in essence, they're still misrepresenting the views of principals to back poor education policy demands uh within this con- these contract negotiations.
1: Troy, what is if you could summarize it the attitude of most of the members of your association, most of the principals in Chicago. What is their attitude toward this strike?
3: I don't know about uh, I guess I could say this is most um I can tell you we surveyed principals when they were about to strike and I think it was 2015. Of strike that got averted mm-hmm. about whether or not they supported a CTU strike. And over then I think the major issue was pension contribution. Uh, and about 85% of our members supported that strike. I did not survey them on the strike this time. We surveyed them on that issue that I spoke about. Um, and, you know, I told you 70% supported the teacher position in terms of not taking away the prep time, more than 95% supported the teacher position on regaining their morning prep time. Uh, And so I think in relationship to the strike, it depends on the issue. Sometimes they might support a board position. Sometimes they may support a teacher position. In general, however, I think that principals are as frustrated with frankly, frustrated, as frustrated with CTU as many of their members are in terms of their inability to effectively articulate the needs of our schools to the public. Um, You know, principals, we're a small organization. We're not in the newspapers as much as CTU. And CTU often holds positions that we agree with. And is not necessarily effectively advocating for those positions as effectively as we would like them to. You know, For example, I came in talking about the 21 staff that we don't have, that we have 21 fewer staff than the average. That should be your lead talking point. Every time you come to a microphone, you shouldn't have demanded three. You should have demanded all 21. Your contract demand should have been, we would like the board to raise us to average staffing. <laughs> Who's gonna disagree with that? If you're like, that's a PR move, right? We want the board to raise staffing levels to meet the state average, to highlight and get across to the public just how much of a crisis we are in, right? But that's not happening. Uh, it's just not being done as effectively as it should be given the reach. And resources that CTU has. You know, and I, you know, I lost my job supporting CTU. I support, you mentioned that one day strike. If you look at my dismissal papers, that one day strike is my support of that one day strike is listed as one of the reasons for my removal. And so I say this as a critical friend, uh, someone who, like many other principals, are frustrated with the fact that this organization is one that we want to win, but keeps shooting itself in the foot. Well, I'm going to uh, I'll say this.
1: Right now, if it wasn't for the Chicago Teachers Union, nobody would even be talking about the fact that there's this critical shortage of employees in the public schools that kids need the most. Uh, and right now, even though they're not articulating the need for the full 21 to get us, as you say, back to average and they're only articulating a need for, what, three? I, I, we're being told by the mayor and uh, the the superintendent of schools that there's not even enough money for that. And it doesn't seem as though the public is responding, Troy, in a way as to say, no, we insist that you pay this money. In other words, I'm not convinced, and f- tell me I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not convinced that in, in the city of Chicago, there's support for the kind of funding increases that are necessary uh, to get Chicago more in line with the state average.
3: I think if you frame it the right way, especially if you pair it up the right way, that again, remember when Rom came in, he wanted his longer school day. The, the man understands politics. I mean, you, you know my position about Rom. Um, there's there's nothing that could happen to him. There's nothing horrible that could happen to him that I would, like, object to. It's just (laughs) speaking metaphorically (laughs) there. He doesn't mean literally, but but go ahead, yeah. With that said, (laughs) said, the man knows politics. The man understands how public opinion works. And Mm -hmm. so when he came in and um, wanted his longer school day, he repeated the same line for a year. Chicago has the most has the shortest school day in the country. Chicago has the shortest school day in the country. Wasn't even true, but everybody in the city knew it by the time he was ready to force that down the teacher's throat. Chicago, he, he understood how to prime public opinion to create a demand for what he wanted. And so, again, I think teachers have to say, principals have to say, Chicago is the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. We have twenty-one fewer staff than the average school. Like that has to be what you lead with. You have to create the demand for it. At the same time, the demand that's missing is demand is the other side of the coin that I talked about earlier in terms of the fact that we're we're already the top one of the top spending districts in the state. Mm and that that corruption must be dealt with before you raise another tax on anyone. To highlight the need for the mayor, in public opinion, you basically highlight the need for the mayor to go through that budget and clean out that corruption, get rid of all these corrupt contracts, while at the same time using it as a, a precondition of the revenues, of the increased revenue sources that are needed to meet the staffing, the, to, to, to address the understaffing crisis that you have already used your public platform to increase public awareness of. I think when you talk about the understaffing crisis and the need for more staff, and then you pair that with a frank discussion of just how corrupt this district is and just how much it misspends funds, you get more public respect for your first demand. Mm. Um, but again, that's just Troy Ravier talk.
1: All right. Now, uh, one thing uh, else the mayor has talked about is the human cost of this strike. Oh, and boy. the human cost being uh, that athletes will not be able to participate uh, in some of the state championships because the teachers are on strike and under the rules uh, in Illinois, striking this school district, their students cannot participate. Not sure quite sure why that's a rule, but that's the rule. Uh, talk about, in your uh, perspective, what the human cost is on the uh, day-to-day uh, reality of I know you're this understaffing.
3: That. So whenever someone talks about this whole human cause piece, I frame it this way. There are consequences here in, in this strike. There are short-term consequences, and there are long-term consequences. And when the mayor speaks and when the CEO speaks, they often direct our attention toward the short-term consequences of this strike. That kids will miss a few days. That kids will miss an athletic program. The long-term consequences of the CTU giving in and not getting this staffing in writing is that our kids continue to be educated or miseducated in the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. They continue to go without a counselor to help them with their post high school options, they continue to go without a social worker, they continue to go without a nurse, that they continue to not have their needs met with professional staffing resources for the duration of the contract, whether it be three, four, or five years, the consequence, the long-term consequence of CTU not striking and demanding that these needs be met is that I think you have to weigh those. And I think it's pretty obvious what side I come out on. You know, my son's right here with me, missing school. Right, He's sitting over here listening to us. <laughs> Say hi, <Zeron. laughs> Um, And I think that it is worth him missing a few days of school if we're going to get a social worker in his school as a result, if we're going to get a nurse in his school as a result, if we're going to get a counselor in his school as a result. Um... Long term, short term, and you don't hear that from the district. And I think it's, it's disingenuous when they speak like that. And there's another thing that the mayor did that angered, just angered me. When she told, she talked about how devastating the strike would be for students in terms of their safety. And then in the same breath, told the teachers union that she wasn't going to add days onto the end of the year to make up for the strike days. Basically, as a way of letting them know your paycheck's gonna come up a little short this year. But you just said that students missing these days, particularly in terms of their safety, you know, is going to is, 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 this is going to be a horrible thing. And so, rather than miss these days, right now they're missing days right now in, in what is not typically the most violent part of the of the school year. And you're not going to add the days back on at the end of the school year, right around the when summer hits off, which is the most violent time, that was disgusting. You don't give a you don't give one fourth of one eighth of a damn about these kids, if that's going to be your stance at the end of the school year that we're not going to add these days on, but now you're saying it's going to be horribly and could have tragic consequences in the middle of the fall <laughs> if our kids don't have a safe place to go. But you won't give them a safe place to go at the end of the school year when the times are most violent. Yeah, no, I couldn't have been more disgusted.
1: I've, we've seen this one before. Mayor Rahm used to talk about like every minute in school was precious when the teachers were on strike. Uh, but then when he wanted the kids to go down to the spring. <laughs> They brought buses to the school for whatever uh, he wanted. Remember, he wanted to go down to Springfield. It was interesting. Uh-huh. All right. I'd love to get your reaction to this uh, uh, column in today's uh, Tribune by a woman named uh, Christian McQuarrie. He's a member of the Tribune Editorial Board. The Tribune's Editorial Board uh, has been denouncing the uh, Chicago Teachers Union for going Christian's
3: the one. Isn't she the one that called for, like, a hurricane or a um, hurricane? Uh, a Katrina-like yes. event in yes. Chicago? Yes. That was, uh, speaking of disgusting.
1: Uh, yes, uh, same writer. Anyway, yes. um, so she interviewed a teacher who is opposed to the, she found a teacher in Chicago who's opposed uh, to the, the strike uh, and then said that the, the union is exaggerating uh, the needs for more staffers. And uh, this is what she writes librarians at every school question mark not necessary in the digital world of education nurses at every school not necessary not necessary at most schools where parents pick up sick kids anyway ctu's demands about building union memberships not serving kids according to this teacher she interviewed your response so
3: again apparently christian Mac- hasn't looked at the Illinois State Board of Education statistics that show Chicago public schools is the most understaffed school district in the state of Illinois. Now, we can nitpick about which positions that CTU is asking for. Frankly, I don't know if principals would necessarily agree that those are the most needed. Principals would certainly say they need an assistant principal. They would certainly say they need a case manager. Many of us are wondering why CTU isn't demanding a case manager. This is the person who Manages all of the meetings and assessments that need to be done for all the kids in their schools that have uh, individual individualized education programs who are on a special education plan. Principals would certainly say we need those. And so you can nitpick about which positions are most needed and you get disagreement depending on who you would ask. But there is no... Um, way in the world anyone could say that the most understaffed school district in the state of illinois does not need more staff uh
1: yeah i would agree with that but uh librarians at every school not necessary in the digital world of education we had fun with that with uh maya oh god yeah, just google yeah. it you don't need a
3: librarian like the, the, the whole point I mean, particularly in the Trump era I'm glad you brought my attention to that one in particular because I kind of got lost in the, the bigger picture analysis of her statement particularly in the Trump era where nobody gives half a damn about evidence that there is a process for discovering the truth and that process involves research that process involves gathering evidence that and who in a school has their job focused on helping young people to understand that process better than a librarian. That might be the most important position in the school in relationship to creating what we all call lifelong learners. It is the librarian that teaches the very specific skills that create a lifelong learner, that creates someone who can hear a claim and then a process that they've been taught begins to... Unfold in their head saying, oh, what's the evidence for that claim? Who does they cite? Uh, How reliable is that site? How reputable is that? These are skills that a librarian teaches. And I don't know if you can find anyone more important in a school building. And she's saying, just go Google go Google it. What's the name of that website, Zeron, that we joke about? Yeah, yeah. Google it and go to GnosticWarrior dot com and see, and get your information <laughs> from them. <laughs> uh, I've never even
1: heard of that one before. I'm learning new things all you know, the time.
3: My son, um uh, it's a running joke we have in the house about this conspiracy theorist website. I you see. Yeah, just go there. <laughs> that'll tell you everything yeah. you need to know. According to Christian McQuarrie. Yeah, just go there. Or, go just com. or just watch Fox How about that? Or watch Fox news. TV. Fox uh,
1: TV, yeah. watch news. And uh, <laughs> nurses at every school, not necessary. Most schools where parents pick up sick kids anyway. Wow. Uh, we talked about this already. And all, there's fifteen, sixteen thousand 16,000 homeless kids in the city of Chicago. I don't know if their parents are going to be pick, picking any kids up at school uh, anytime soon. All right, now the other point uh, near, dear to my heart, uh, is the allocation, uh, the diversion of property taxes away from the public schools. It really hurt me when I heard uh, Janice Jackson speaking up about the fiduciary limitations of the city of Chicago, uh, knowing full well how many uh, millions of dollars diverted from the public schools' property tax dollars to the TIF program and allocated uh, an earmarked for projects like Lincoln Yards and the 78 upscale right. developments, gentrifying areas. And Troy really... The leadership of the Chicago public schools has been absent on this issue, the, for the all the years that I've been writing about. It, I've been writing about it for a long time. I cannot recall one school board member, one superintendent, uh, and uh, or for that matter, until you, one principal mm-hmm. who spoke about it. And then didn't even hear the teachers speak about it until Karen Lewis took charge of the Chicago Teachers Union. Right, uh, and it's just part of the game, Troy. We're we like look the other way about the way the city really works and talk about like the limited amount of money that we have ignoring all the billions that are going over for things like Lincoln yards and the 78 and the DePaul basketball arena. And
3: the list goes on and on mm-hmm. very frustrating. you see very frustrating? Yeah, this is actually how I got into before I wrote that essay that mm-hmm. you cited. Um, a year, almost a year before that, in the summer of 2013, I spoke at a press conference uh, at City Hall, and there was a young teacher who was a DePaul student, a former DePaul student, who worked with CTU to organize a press conference. At that time, we thought TIF funds were going to be spent on the stadium, and then it was a hotel, and then it turned out it was a Ferris wheel. But at that point, <laughs> it was the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were going to build for DePaul and this DePaul student uh, had organized this press conference with CTU a former DePaul student who was now a CPS teacher um, and one of my parents at Blaine where I was principal told me she was going to this press conference and I said um, do you think they would let a principal speak? And she said I'll try and she called the guy who was organized it turns out it was Marty Ritter uh, from CTU and he said yeah come through and I got up um, and spoke at this press conference it was actually the first time that I had ever said anything publicly about uh, or against the mayor's policies and it was right there at city hall outside of his office that teacher interestingly enough was Erica Wozniak <laughs> that's where that's how I first met her and Uh, Erica always uh, jokes with me about this because she did all this work to organize the press conference. (laughs) But when I came and spoke, all of the attention was on the fact that this principal had come out speaking critically um, uh, against Rahm and his policies. Um, So that was so one of the reasons I decided to speak there is because as a principal, as you see this $20 million about to be spent on a stadium that could be spent in your schools, at the same time he was doing that, he had cut our budget at Blaine and cut school budgets around the city by hundreds of thousands and even millions of dollars. And so while I have to figure out what am I going to take away from my students, as I'm watching $20 million be given away for a sports stadium that could have gone to our schools, the contradiction, the hypocrisy, like I couldn't turn away from it. Like it had to be addressed. There was no way I was I could continue acting as if all of this was okay, like if this was acceptable. That hundreds of millions of, and this $20 million was just one item in a long item of extremely wasteful TIF spending on real estate developers who already have more money than they'll know what to do with in their entire lifetime and redirecting that money at the expense of our students uh, and the academic programs that we we're able to put together for them. And so, yes, I thought it was it was actually one of the first things that got me to speak out, um, the way that our city redirects so much of our tax dollars to benefit the wealthy, at the expense of those of us who actually have to work for a living,
1: you know, uh, I've been neglectful. I didn't, haven't mentioned that at one point you you were uh, running for mayor in this cycle, and you stopped because you couldn't raise the money to be competitive. That's no joke, raising money, uh, and uh, so. I guess this is easy to ask, but uh, how would you have handled things differently upon uh, if you were the mayor, if you and ent- uh, were victorious in the April runoff, uh, and if you had to, what overtures would you have made to the Chicago Teachers Union uh, to try to uh, avert this situation we're in?
3: So real quick, I left because I had a horrible ground game. Um, Funding was the second reason. For okay, um, I, we okay. had great messaging, yeah. but we had absolutely the ground game was just you know okay, you okay. learn your lessons, um, and we didn't have enough signatures. As a result, we didn't get enough signatures. Mm-hmm. We we're, were not on track at all to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. I like to be honest. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I thought money was part of that, but whatever. Uh, uh, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we we could have done it without the money if we had organized. Let me put it okay. Around.
1: If you had, I just want to say yeah. on a tangent this weekend. Uh, I was, uh, downtown Evanston, I just have to say this, a gentleman came up to me with four petitions to sign, and uh, for various judges, I forget who it was. I signed every single one of them because the guy explained to me he got a dollar and a quarter per signature. Right. So this gentleman was not there on the corner of what streets were they? Uh, Sherman and <laughs> Church in Evanston because he believed in the sanctity of the candidates for whom he was collecting. He was getting paid a dollar and a quarter a signature. Yeah. I, I told him, man, I'm giving you the equivalent of $5. Spend it wisely
3: because I signed one." Because you had good signatures. Because yeah. you, you only get paid for the good ones. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we were not going that route, okay. and I could have done it with volunteers. We just didn't organize it the right way. All right, fair so I learned my lesson um and in relationship to how I would have approached it, I think the first thing uh, going back to what I said earlier as a mayor, you're only as powerful oftentimes as either your financial backing, your billionaire financial backing, or your public support. You, got, you have to have either the power of organized people or the power of organized money behind you. Right? And I certainly would not have had the power of organized money behind me. And so that, meant, that means part of your job as mayor is impacting public opinion, using that position to impact public opinion and organize you know, and stay in, staying in touch with the grassroots that got you in there and organizing people and impacting public opinion on the matters that, on the things that you want to change so that you can have the public support to help you push these things through through city council or through the board of education. So one of the things I would have did is just like our last mayor came in talking about Chicago has the most, the most, the shortest school day in the country every day. You be hearing from me. We have the most understaffed school district in the state. Oh, and by the way, there's this corruption tax that you're paying right now. And I would've used every resource possible to go through that budget, make it uh, transparent, get it out there on, in the public. Every, th- every time we find something to let them know, we are being good fiduciaries of your tax dollars by finding every piece of waste and corruption in there. And at the same time, building public awareness of the spending needs in CPS, so that the public understands the need, the public understands that you have um, tried to do everything in your power Mm -hmm. to find the money in an alternative fashion by getting rid of waste so that when it is time to raise a tax, and that's what you're going to have to do. Eventually, there is not enough waste to cover the amount of staffing that we need. But you, the public must understand that. You, know, you can say that there's not enough, but if you don't make the public understand that in your daily conversation, mm-hmm. it might as well not be true. Uh, and so building the public understanding, uh, a public consciousness about your attempts to get to, to reduce waste, at the same time building up their understanding and promoting the actual needs that are going to require you to spend Um, And then, of course, redirecting some of those tax hikes on the folks who can afford it most. Now, that's a fight. Uh, That is a fight.
1: And that is about as good a moment as ever to uh, divert this conversation to national issues because... Uh, that's sort of at the heart of the debate that's going on uh, in the presidential race. Uh, Troy Laravier, in addition to being the president of Chicago Principal Association, was, as I understand, as my memory serves me, a delegate for Bernie Sanders back in 2016. That's correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. And uh, so we'll talk a little national politics with Troy when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. Land
2: It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore, and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit... AdmiralX.com Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Ram, Vice President Joe Biden made one of his final moves before the debate starts to show a video of him basically bear-hugging President Obama. Smart move? Why is he doing that? I think he that? also
1: got a hug back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. But, okay. But no, yeah, it's a smart move. It's his calling card. It's why he has—the strength he has among Democratic voters is because he served with a very, very popular president. It's What surprised me
0: in the last debate, when people were throwing the president under the bus, I mean, you have a person who's at 90-some-odd percent popularity with Democrats. That is not a smart strategy. I do agree with Matt. This is going to be about the end energy. There's more about a chemistry that you're going to associate. And the closer the candidate
1: can put their own story with the story of where people live their lives, they're going to, the better they're going to be. They're not going to follow all the details about this policy versus that policy. It's about relating
2: and they feeling that they can relate to that candidate and that they understand them where they live their lives. Hey, it's football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, yes, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all Of the stories you love. That's A L L. All of the stories you love. Ben, make that football noise you make all the time. Ready, set, 2020. Yeah, ready, set, 2020, guys. That's called an Audible. Oh, okay. And all of our non sports fans out there. Audible. Write that down. The Sun Times has always been your go to source for sports. And now the Sun Times is a proud partner of the Chicago Bears. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and uh, the scores from the other teams and stories from the Chicago Sun Times for a limited time only. You can lock in our lowest rate. Yet only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports you need to know. Ben, that noise one more time again. What is it? Ready, set, 2020. <laughs> yeah, ready, set, 2020. And ready, set, twenty nine ninety nine <laughs> for a full year of unlimited access. You can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. And, hey, speaking of Ben. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Troy LaRavie in the studio with me, president of the Chicago Principals Association, before we turn our attention to national politics. Uh, D, you got an update for me? Uh, Absolutely, I do. Here, more Chicago teacher strike updates here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times at about 2.34 this afternoon, not long ago. Uh, The day after the Chicago teachers union leaders said that their hopes were, quote, dashed for a quick end to their strikes, uh, union officials are making plans for an extended work stoppage that could possibly go into next week
1: mm, well i'm not surprised there once you go on strike you don't know what's happening
2: and then also we have uh the last clip here from mayor lightfoot's press conference today uh it was this morning at uh, i can't remember what the name of the place was but uh, she was talking about the strike again so it's our final clip here from mayor lightfoot
0: Tomorrow, you have to give your first budget speech for the city. Now, I know the budgets are separate, but how are you feeling about speaking directly to taxpayers tomorrow about your budget proposal? while all of this is going on, and is there going to be any good news in there for teachers? Over the evening? Well, the, the budgets are separate. Um, and so we, want to be, we won't uh, tomorrow uh, be specifically addressing um, CPS issues in the context of the city budget, but I think there is a lot of good news for taxpayers. Look, we've made a lot of tough choices and hard sacrifices and more to come, and I, I won't get into the particulars of what we're gonna be saying tomorrow, but we have definitely made taken the approach that we need to make sure that we continue investing in our people in the city. Um, budgets are a statement of values, I believe that wholeheartedly and we will be speaking our values tomorrow when we reveal the particulars of how we've gotten to a balanced budget. Wow.
1: All right. Where do I, I, I want to call switch to Troy and national news, but I just have to say budgets are separate. Budgets are a statement of values. Let me just say this folks. Uh, In the city of Chicago where all power is given to the mayor, where the mayor in 1995, in addition to all the power he or she has at City Hall, was given complete control of the schools to the point where it's an appointed school board, where it's an appointed CEO who uh, stands, whose jobs they are owed to the mayor, to uh, the point where teachers aren't even allowed to negotiate for the things they're negotiating for. They're not even allowed to strike about the things they're striking for. The mayor has that much power to sit up there and say these budgets are separate to have a situation like a TIF program in Chicago, which literally diverts hundreds of millions of dollars a year from the Chicago public schools in property taxes that you pay. You think it's going to the Chicago public schools, but it's getting diverted to the TIF fund. To get up there and say these budgets are separate is, to, is exceedingly misleading at the least. It's, they're going to be talking about one budget as though it's independent of the school budget all the money flows to the mayor, essentially. Years ago, I had a budget uh, advisor to Mayor Daley explain this to me. He goes, Ben, you got to think of it as one giant bucket. And all the money goes into the bucket. And the mayor decides who gets what from the bucket. Think of it as water. He's going to ladle out. Schools are going to get this much. Developers are going to get this much. Street repair is going to get this much. Police are going to get this much. So this notion that these are separate budgets is misleading people it's your property tax dollars that fund most of this it's all coming from the same source you the taxpayers so tomorrow when the mayor makes her budget speech she's going to be talking about one item one little part of it she's not obviously not going to be talking about how it fits into the total scheme of things so if she wanted to allocate more money for the things that troy laravier is talking about like more nurses or social workers or librarians she would have to cut the money that's going for developers to develop upscale neighborhoods. That's a fact. That's just reality. It's your property tax dollars, folks. Now, whether that money is going there right now or whether that money is going to fill those coffers over the next 23 years, is largely irrelevant to the point that money is dedicated to pay for that development deal. And that money could be dedicated to pay for nurses. Do you agree with me, Troy? Well
3: said. Couldn't say it any better, man.
1: Oh, and, uh,
2: oh, sorry. Go Greg. ahead. I was going to say, I'd like to thank uh, Troy, by the way, as well. Uh, our live stream chat is uh, looking at GnosticWarrior.com. <laughs> They're all freaking out over here. <laughs>
1: GnosticWarrior.com. <laughs> I
2: hope there's a little explanation of how tiffs,
1: uh, Gnostic Warriors, how tips affect the regular school budget, uh, Troy Larabier. Uh, anyway, uh, you got me fired up, D. Whenever I hear a mayor said, well, we're just going to discuss the uh, the city budget, we're not going to be discussing the school budget. Like, it's not all your property tax dollars, people. Sorry, Troy, I didn't mean to get all fired up there.
3: All right, let's... Uh, That's an important point. I'm glad you brought it up. The The way that they've sort of created this mental framework to make you just dismiss hundreds of millions of dollars as if you can't consider this for school <laughs> when you can. Uh But that's the mental schematic or framework that they've created. So where they don't even have to say it, you notice that the reporter said it for them. The reporter was actually, I know it's separate, but blah, 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 blah. (laughs) They're so good at it that the mental framework is not just in Lightfoot's head. Since the time of daily, they've been putting it out there so much and so effectively that the reporter introduces the idea with their framework <laughs> um i mean they they've really given us a mind can you curse on this to show y- you're
1: allowed <laughs> to curse but restrain yourself i already dropped a few uh, f-bombs oh, to yeah. them today well yeah. they
3: mind f would us yeah <laughs> big time including the people who are supposed to be you know interrogating them I mean, she's framed. She's softballing the question for the mayor without even knowing that's what she's doing. That's that's a pretty powerful framework.
1: Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Ben. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it just really gets me going every time I hear that. And, you know, I'll, again, if we had an independent school board, if we had anything remotely resembling like one or two independent minds on the school board, there would be somebody pointing this out. I have to believe that there would be at least one person on that school board who'd be saying, you're diverting hundreds of millions of dollars from our budget. You're, You're with your TIF program. The TIF program uh, prevents us from taxing some of the most valuable property in the city of Chicago. And as a result, we have to raise the taxes on absolutely everybody else in the city to accommodate for the money we're not getting out of a TIF district. And so as a result, taxpayers are feeling even more used uh, than they would ordinarily feel. So you got to give us something back Mm -hmm. to compensate for what we're giving you. But no, it's like, oh, just just ignore what's going on over there. You know, just ignore all that stuff and concentrate on this one budget like they're not connected you know, anyway. All right, let's get to national politics. Uh, you were a Bernie supporter back in 2016. You were a Bernie bro. Uh, although I feel like every other guest <laughs> in the show, I am not a Bernie bro, Ben. And no one likes to be called. That. Nobody, I know
2: nobody likes it's to be cool c- with me. Uh, I never called myself that, but uh, I'm cool with you calling me that. Uh, listen, last week you came up with one for a female Sanders <laughs> sisters. Yeah. Jeanette Taylor. Oh, always I was like in that. here,
1: all the women at the Ward. She said for Bernie, oh, you're Sanders sister. And she goes, yes, I am. She didn't
3: try to deny it. Uh,
1: uh, so uh, wh- who are you supporting this time around, Troy?
3: Bernie. Absolutely. All the way. Um, you know, for me, it, there's like two ways for me to look at this. There's who's closest to me ideologically. And my top two would be Bernie and then Warren. Mm-hmm. And then there's who can be Trump. And then my top two would be Bernie and unfortunately Biden. Um and I don't know which way to go. But fortunately, my top, is not, my top one is the same in both analyses.
1: <laughs> Wait, now let me ask you this. Why don't you think uh, Elizabeth Warren has a good chance of beating Donald
3: Trump? I think she's three. I, I just don't think she has as good a chance as Biden does. I think she can beat him. Um, but I want to give us the absolute best possible chance of getting Trump the hell out of the White House. Why do you think Bernie um,
1: has the best chance of
3: beating Donald Trump? Bernie is seen as the most... The most honest, the most... Like, one of the things that Trump... Bernie's the one who can get a Trump voter. Like, when... In 2016, 2015 and 16, when he was running back then, they surveyed a lot of the Bernie supporters, and a lot of the folks who supported Bernie, their second choice was Trump. Like, they liked the fact that these two men seemed to speak their minds, and a lot of the people who spoke voted for Trump their second choice was Bernie. And so Bernie has this appeal, seemed to have had this appeal with working class folks who had these sort of hard um, bread and butter issues. Um, and again, Bernie of course had the uh, backing of a lot of young people. He got more energy, more enthusiasm. Like, you know, I talk about giving yourself the best chance. I think one of the biggest mistakes the Clinton campaign made and they made quite a few, was the arrogance of not selecting Bernie as a running mate. That you've got this guy who created more energy on the Democratic side than anyone i had seen since Obama. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe even more, particularly from progressives and young people, just created all of this energy and you just threw it away. You have to give yourself the best chance of winning. And she goes and picks this can't even, what was it, Kane? Yeah, very good memory, Tim Kane. Like, like (laughs) there could not have been anyone less inspiring than that man. And so you just like, okay, yeah, uh, I I would be guaranteed if I picked this guy, but I I can beat Trump with anyone. Let me get this Kane guy. You have to give yourself the best chance. I think Bernie gives us the best chance. I think Biden gives us, even though uh, I'm not a fan at all, the second best chance of beating Trump I think Warren gives us the third best chance now why do you think Biden this is
1: interesting there's so it's, it's, I can't even articulate this Bernie represents something that is completely the opposite of Joe Biden Bernie has a worldview that has he's not diverted from God bless him since he figured it out back in 1960 or whenever he figured uh-huh. it out And I'm very sympathetic to Bernie's worldview. I never in a million years thought it would get to this point where it would be on a national stage. uh, But I give him a lot of credit for that. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is like a very mainstream centrist Democrat uh, who's very calculated in any move he makes, is always trying to appeal uh, to sort of like a... I, I don't even know what to call it, but like uh, the the center or the right, even at any given moment, to show like I don't have an I'm not an ideologue. I don't I don't I'm open minded to absolutely anything. So I'll just sell out the the, uh, the the lefties in my party just to get this accord. And yet you're saying these two guys who are completely opposite political animals mm-hmm. have the best chance. Explain that.
3: Yeah, because people don't vote with their—people don't analyze politics like you and I do. Like, again, let me say quite—let me affirm here, Elizabeth Warren is my second choice. But if I have to analyze the American electorate (laughs) and think about what their second choice might be, who would be more likely to be Trump, you know, we we just don't seem to vote based on um, an intellectual analysis like the one that you just made. It's like sort of your feeling— Oh, this, I, this is you know, what was the thing when Obama, i like to have a beer with this guy. You know, I thought that was ridiculous, <laughs> but now we have Trump as our president. Yeah. So it's not as ridiculous as I thought. And you have to actually take that into account. If your goal is to get this man out of office yeah, and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but my, my gut, my experience in American politics is, you know, short lived as it is, you know, I'm not, I'm not a political veteran, but based on what I've seen, I think Biden has a better chance of getting, beating Trump than Warren does. I believe Warren can beat him. Um, I just think he has a better chance. Are you going to be a delegate again this year? No, I'm not. I'm
1: giving somebody else a chance. All right. Uh, And final question. I would love to get your response to this. This is from a Paul Krugman column today in the New York Times. Paul Krugman uh, is a liberal columnist for the New York Times, a big supporter, a big fan of Obamacare. Uh, Very cautious and concerned about the impact of Bernie Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren in this particular case, Medicare for all. And he talks about it in terms of the election. And he's talking about uh, if Warren gets a Democratic nomination, the outcome of the general election isn't going to hinge on dueling think tank estimates about Medicare for all. The election might, however, hinge on the support of people who have good private coverage and would be nervous about making a leap into the unknown, no matter how many facts and figures uh, Warren deploys. In other words, he's very concerned uh, that if Elizabeth Warren goes too far in the Bernie direction with a uh, public payer plan, uh, a single payer plan, I should say, Medicare for all, uh, it will mean lead to Donald Trump's reelection because people will be worried about losing their private uh, medical care. What's your what's your reaction to that?
3: I think Paul has a point. Yeah, it depends on how effective the democratic messaging is, and they're typically not very effective with their messaging, unfortunately. I mean, we're in the we are living in the country where, when Obamacare was being debated, a significant portion of the population thought Obama was going to try and kill their grandparents. You remember this, mm-hmm. right? Paul Krugman understands the American electorate, and. I wouldn't say he's 100% right. It all depends on how effective Warren's team is if she does get the nomination. Or Bernie's team is if he gets the nomination. And articulating um, and messaging his... Uh, plan and again or her plan and I, again I think Bernie has the upper hand there Warren's good with facts and figures Bernie's really good at just hammering it home and making you feel him <laughs> he yeah. makes you feel him Warren, Warren, I I love Warren and, and, and I would vote for her in a half a second in mm-hmm. one fourth of one eighth of a second <laughs> if um she's a uh, the nominee but Bernie is just a much better communicator in terms of getting straight to your heart mm-hmm uh warren gets to your mind bernie gets to your heart and unfortunately more people vote with their heart than their mind
1: all right very good that's troy laravie and he is the president of the chicago principal association it's been way too long troy uh, since you last been on the show i'm gonna be du- more dutiful about uh reaching out to you maybe on a monthly basis get you back in the the swing of things do you have any prediction before i let you go on how long this teacher strike is going to go um a couple weeks wow couple weeks hold on i'm gonna to have to have a shot of this water to,
3: to, to sweet. get that down mm. a
1: couple <laughs> at minimum.
3: weeks at minimum of this teacher strike. you know let me say i will say this though i didn't think they were gonna strike i did, i thought the boy would cave and i was wrong so hopefully i'm wrong on this one too wow.
1: I've, I've been wrong every single time when it comes to teachers and their strikes. I didn't yeah. think they would strike in 2012. I thought Obama would come to the uh, get involved and tell mm-hmm. Rahm to back off on that because it's making them. I didn't think they would strike uh, this time around because I thought Lori Lightfoot would, would want to make some kind of. I wouldn't even put it in cave.
3: This see okay, that's I'm not, what I thought. I it wasn't that I thought teachers wouldn't strike. I didn't think Lightfoot. Would ultimately push them to it Okay, I thought she would cave And that
1: there would not be a strike And this is why I'm going to uh, respectfully uh, Admonish you for using the word cave Because Lori Lightfoot ran as a progressive Lori Lightfoot ran as A politician who believed In adding uh, nurses Social workers And librarians to our schools Dealing with the very issues that you were talking about Good point, I hear where you're going So it's not caving into a union demand like she, it's,
3: Actually meeting, doing the things you I thought Lori Lightfoot would actually do the things she said she was going to do how dumb of me
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) very
3: good point ben very good point (laughs) yeah so it's
1: all these things get but it's not just you everybody it's like well you come on the union's demanding xyz we're talking yeah, they wanna like help poor kids in low income schools that are lost in a very cruel world. Oh my god, how radical is that?
3: They want three more positions in the school districts <laughs> that's short, twenty-three per school. Yeah, if twenty one, If,
1: 21, if. <laughs> Lori Life will woke up tomorrow and goes, you know what? I've been I just listened to Troy Laravier and the Ben Jarowski show, and they're right. That, I would not say that's caving. I would say that's coming to your senses. Yes. correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. Uh, anyway, uh, Troy LaRabia, thank you very much. Uh, Maya did an outstanding. Maya was on fire today, wasn't she, D? Uh, if we're going to put that one on the radio, we're going to have to clean that up a little bit. But uh, Tuesday,
2: November 5th, Maya makes her uh, first Tuesday debut at the Hideout.
1: That is correct, Senator, uh, with Stacey Davis-Gates.
2: 1354 hope- West LaBonsia,
1: Tuesday, November 5th, 6.30 p.m. Very good. And the man saying that? is the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Back home, they call him White Lightning. No so he's don't. fat. <laughs> no one calls him no. that. Keep yourself forays, taking Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Tom Waddle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel, and on Facebook. Hey, I, uh, if... You can download it. If you missed any of the live stream, by the way, you can download the show. I know we kind of buffer and go out from time to time. Download the program, chicago.suntimes.com, readercom Go do it.